All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Man, has it been a few weeks. If you guys have been tuned in, and you know it's been since, what, April 26th, I'm looking at right now, is the last time we did an episode, and uh, way too much time has gone by. We're, we are literally almost halfway through May, and there has been the rally hangover is over. Sonora Rally is done with. The Nora Rally is now done with. And, well, today's guest, we're going to be talking a little bit about that. It has been an absolute journey for a lot of these guys, and a select few of them decided to double down on the rally raid side of things and running both the Sonora Rally and also competing in the Nora Mexican 1000. So today we're going to be talking to Mike Johnson, rally comp creator, and most recently putting the Covey rally bike through its paces, not once down the peninsula, but twice, or at least the equivalent of it, Sonora Rally and then the Nora Rally. So we're going to talk to him here in just a few minutes. But first, let's talk a little bit about what has been going on and what are we getting ready to do? We've got rally months coming up, lots of them. We've got the Kota Rally coming up. Then you've got the WTF. Then you've got Baja Rally School coming up. You have the Cold Start coming up and you have... Of course, the Baja Rally at the end of the year, and then we start all over again, and it is going to be time for the Dakar. So a lot going on, a lot coming up, and absolutely excited. We've got a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm finally reaching out, getting that calendar going, and we're going to be talking to a lot of guests, doing some more recap shows. Jacob Argybright, we got him going. He's racing today, uh, doing the Heron Hound series. And so we weren't able to get him in total last minute, right? Uh, if you guys heard the episode, we talked to him, uh, Luke Valentine of Peace Adventures. Want to do a little bit more uh, more information with him and talk about what they are doing and what their program is about. So we got a lot coming up. Wolfie, I got to catch up with him, man. It's been a few months. So a lot going on for sure. Let's turn on the party here a little bit. Let's see if... Uh, Boy, Mike is ready. He is ready and waiting for us. But yeah, that is right. I mean, we got so much going on. Now it's time to just figure out, you know, what are we going to do with all this time off? How do we get? It? How do we get it so we can go? How how do you guys go to these all these rallies and take all this time off and are able to do this? That's what I want to know. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm messing up the recipe. I I, I got to do something. I got to. I need Spotify to cut me a check. They're like, you know what? We like your podcast so much. Why don't you just do that full-time for us? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe we need more listeners. Have you been sharing episodes? What's your favorite episode? Who should I talk to next? Who should be the one? If you guys haven't already had, heard, I am still getting a ton of compliments and a bunch of stuff of people that enjoyed the episode with Mo Hart and his tale of the 2023 Dakar Rally. So that was really, really awesome to hear. If you guys haven't heard that episode, you absolutely need to rewind and go back and listen to it because it was definitely uh, worth the listen. It was a little bit longer of an episode, but it was really, really good to hear all of these, you know, tales and all of these adventures and things that you don't know that we don't know about, you know, sitting stateside uh, about the Dakar. So that was really, really awesome. I really enjoyed, you know, speaking to him about it. Uh, and then also, you know, seeing him out at the SoCal rally uh, for that adventure. It was absolutely awesome. So let's see if we can get Mike queued up here and we'll get this and do it totally live. We're like just going to straight up jump on him here. Let's see if we can get him. Uh, got it ringing.
Hi, Victor. Hey, Mike. How are you, sir? Uh, very good. How are you? Yeah, doing well. I'm trying to remember what it's like to be on the mic. It's it's been a minute. <laughs> it's been a while, huh? Yeah. So, are you fully recuperated yet? Um, not quite. I think it's going to be another week or so, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of so a lick in my wounds a little bit. That was a pretty long uh, adventure. Uh, yeah, two adventures. <laughs> Two adventures back to back. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that was pretty crazy. I, I, I didn't find out. I didn't find out until after the rally that how this all went down. You were only slated to run the Sonora rally. Correct. Yep. Yep. Uh, was uh, the plan was for me to ride with Kobe for uh, for the Sonora rally. I had mentioned to them that uh, you know it might be cool to do the Sonora rally afterwards but they weren't too hot on it and then um as the race progressed i had had an injury a couple months before and i wasn't sure how i was going to be so i didn't push the issue too too much and then um as we neared the end of the sonora rally i was feeling pretty good so i decided to try to put the pieces together and and put in an effort for the Nora as well there were a couple other guys from the rally uh, that were going to head down and do the two events back to back um Matthew Glade and uh, Matt Sutherland. So they're both buddies of mine. And I just put the pieces together and made it happen. Nice. Yeah, that <laughs> I was very surprised afterwards. <laughs> but I mean, that that's good. And I mean, Sonora Rally. Let's let's start there. What, what was the rally like for you? How did that go? And then aboard a new bike that you had what zero time on? Yeah, well, I uh, we uh, yeah, I didn't get any time on the bike. The bikes were all brand new. There were four of them. They were the first uh, rally versions of the Kobe imported to the U.S. And uh, they just arrived uh, maybe a week or two before we went to the rally. Um, the bikes arrived just right out of the crate, and um, yeah, I didn't get, uh, we were supposed to, I was supposed to go test drive ride at one the day before the prologue. And when we went out to the test track, uh, we were busy working on the bike. We got there a little late and it was closed. So we unloaded the bike on a dirt road. I drove up and down the dirt road a couple times and, and that was all I got to ride it before the, the event started. So yeah, brand new on the bike when it started. Um, but I got comfortable with the bike real quick. The bike works really good. And um, uh, the event was quite a bit rougher than normal because we were uh, behind the F. I was riding in the national class, and we had uh, the FIM bikes and FIA cars ahead of us. So the, the track was pretty defined, which meant not a lot of navigation, which is usually an area where I tend to shine uh, and then um the the, tr the course was really rough as well so a little different event than what we'd seen in the past and because of environmental issues just a couple weeks before the rally began the mexican government pulled a lot of the dune sections away from the event so um there weren't as many dunes as we would normally see yeah i um in talking to darren i found that out and i, I was pretty bummed i mean that that was kind of a low a low maneuver. I mean, we won't get too far into the exact feeling of, of that happening because that's, that was pretty bad. I think on their part, um, especially this isn't the first year that this event happens. 
So it was, yeah, it was and, a bit rough for them to do that at the last minute. Yeah, so they had to redo all the routes, which really made them scramble. But also it took away the real essence of that event is the dunes. I mean, um, that's what that event was built around, and that's what everybody knows it for and everybody expects. And unfortunately, uh, it got taken away at the last minute. So um, hopefully, you know, next year um, they can work more on that and get that ironed out and get the dunes back in. Yeah. I, I hope so. I, I had heard rumor that even like on the, once the event was underway, that they were saying that it, they were, they had kind of rescinded their, or, or thought twice about their decision and were saying, well, you know, maybe it's not so bad. And we, well, the ship has already sailed. You can't create a new stage mid rally. You know? Yeah. Although I do know, <laughs> I, you know, I was talking to Scott Whitney as, as the event went on and he was, you know, kind of spur of the moment. Darren told him to get those routes. The la- I think on the last day routes uh, that they had go- had going through the dunes, trying to potentially revive those. But then in the end that didn't happen. So I don't, I don't know all the reasons, but I do know that that was a possibility at one point. Yeah. Well, and it's such a bummer because, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's everybody knows the Sonora Rally for, yeah, the terrain and the dunes and what they do out there. And, and you know, no, it's to me, I always I'm used to seeing all the road books, you know, when when tracking them via the rally comp uh, system, you know, it's always, oh, OK, they're at Kino Cross or who's at Kino Cross because I got somebody down here that needs some help or whatever it is. But it's always seeing Kino Cross, the swing set, I think that's out there is another area like all these like little monuments and stuff that are out there that, you know these guys that flew halfway across the world didn't get to experience. um, Yeah. Yeah. Really unfortunate. Um, And I know everybody had expectations of that, that it was going to be a big dune event. And unfortunately, yeah. And didn't turn, didn't go there. Didn't go. But it was still, it was still a lot of fun. I mean, still uh, most of it was sand. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were still on, you know, sandy tracks. We did hit some dunes. The dunes we hit were super difficult, very, very soft and, and uh, uh, just hard to get through some of some of the harder dunes I've seen out there. I think they had to uh, route us through some dunes, the dunes they could that weren't the typical dunes that we would see out there. Typically, the dunes in Sonora are, are pretty well packed. Um, uh, as far as dunes go, not not super difficult, but these that they ran us through were pretty difficult because they were because they were so soft. Mm. Yeah, I, I so, had heard that they were and that they were shorter than normal not as tall. So there really wasn't like a lot of speed and being able to carry speed and flow through them. They were just kind of, it was just a chunky progression through them is what I heard. Yeah. Yep. That, that describes it pretty well. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's a, that's a bummer. Well, hopefully, you know, for next year they'll have them, they'll have all this stuff sorted and they won't pull this, you know, last minute. And I saw the, the stuff that they were using to create the road book and, and it's not easy to just jump back in and say, okay, here's the, here's the route, you know, here's the notes. It's, you know, it it looks very time consuming to what they do. Yeah. And it was a combination of the, I mean, to, to, to to make both the data for both um, the national and the FIM class was uh, a little more complicated than usual because the FIM had come in and done all the road books and typically, um, and they were using a different software. Typically they would use, you know, rally navigator and that's integrated real well with the rally comp. And that wasn't the case this year. So, um, Scott Whitney jumped in and, and, and I helped him and, and some other people helped to, um, to manipulate the data to get it in the format we needed to, to support the national class. 
Yeah, which was, I mean, that, uh, I mean, there was a lot going on uh, for you leading up to the rally, right? On the rally comp side of it to get all of this ready. Oh, yeah, yeah. So prepping all the rally comps, uh, um, designing our, you know, the latest firmware, getting all the units updated with the latest firmware, um, getting all the personnel in place. And, um, And then fortunately, it was nice that I didn't have to worry about Typically, I'm doing that and putting together my own race effort. But in this case, you know, I was riding for Covey, so uh, they pretty much handled all that side of it. So that was actually some relief from what I would normally do. Yeah, not having to do bike yeah. prep and all of the <laughs> all the other stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let, for a minute, let, let's talk about the rally comp side of things uh, before we get to the ride. Right. I mean, everybody wants to know okay. w- what it was like with the Covey. Um, but what does typically go into like on the rally comp on the design and everything? Cause there, there were some new versions of the rally comp that were out this time at the event, uh, different case, I believe some different things going on. Yeah. So we just, we just, uh, introduced, uh, the Evo version, which I guess we've, we've had it in, in, in different phases for about a year now. And I'm just finalizing, uh, the, the, the core design features of that unit in terms of uh, I'm still doing some hardware design like you said where I've got a new case for injection molding cases um, they're going to be a lot stronger uh, you know, better waterproofing better appearance um, the, the, the unit's completely redesigned a new display which is you know great in the in the sunlight and ba- basically all conditions you can see this display great we've got higher resolution so we're, we're able to put more information on the display uh, we've got a faster processor. We've got, um, you know, wireless capability, um, Bluetooth capability. So, uh, and a lot of features that we haven't even implemented yet. Um, a lot of what I've done thus far is just getting it, uh, the new unit to function identical uh, to the old unit. And then now we're looking at, uh, or we're working on uh, expanding on that because we've got a lot more uh, capability hardware-wise built into the unit. And um, uh, so leading up to the event, you know, we've got to prep all those units. We're building new units. We're, we're, we're building the inventory of those units. And then, uh, you know, as you know, because you help, uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, setup to do to set up all the online tracking and, and uh, entering all the riders and those things um, to, to get prep for each event. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it always seems like, you know, there's never enough time. You know, and I mean, how many, what was it, what was about the final count of units for the event? Do you recall that you, that we, um, like 60, 70 units, something like that? I think it was about 60 for this unit yeah, or for this event. Yeah. This event. Yeah. So to each one of those. Well, we had, we had about 60 and then we had about 25, uh, org and media units. So it's about more like 85, I think total. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that on the yeah. on the tracking side was was uh, was good, and I mean, having to use the maps and use the trackers and and tracking the the org vehicles, media, uh, and then all of the competitors and back and forth that you know worked really uh, worked really well. There was some there was a few people we won't name in the room that were very impressed with the system, uh, 
uh, but they didn't get access uh, to it. <laughs> and thank you for all your efforts, Victor. You've yeah. been a great help throughout, throughout the years. Uh, you know, for those that are listening and don't know it, Victor is one of our main tech guys helping rally comp at events and, uh, you know, helping with online tracking, um, setting up the system, you know, issuing units is his dad as well. So, you know, Victor senior helps a lot on the ground, uh, with the rally comp. So I really appreciate everything you guys do. Yeah, of course. It's a, a lot great of- relationship throughout the years and hope it continues. Yeah, I know. I, I still remember I asked Mauricio for a sticker. And next thing I know, I'm race director at Baja Rally and then I'm working, <laughs> working with you on setting this stuff up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it's been really good. And, and I mean, I, you know, to me, at least my, the, the personal experience, I'm just really amazed with the, how, accurate the gps side of it is and riding you know that was something i don't know that that i shared the feedback with you but when i was out at socal rally just using it as an odometer how spot on this thing was in coordination with the road book even though the two of them have nothing to do with each other nobody from the org programmed the rally comp i didn't program it and the rally comp team didn't have any input on the road book and to see how well it lined up and to not have to make adjustments all the time was, I just was amazed by that considering I had other hardware on board that I was kind of struggling with. Uh, that is one and the same. They were both using GPS signals. Nothing was wheel driven, anything like that. So the accuracy was really, really awesome to see that actually in person live. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one thing about the rally comp. It is, it is a full navigation device. It's got, uh, you know, odometer, speedometer, uh, cap, um, just, you know, like, like any other, uh, or I guess more than, than most, uh, navigation units that you might buy on the market. And, uh, and it does work really, really, really good. I mean, the odometer is usually spot on. So typically when we're running a rally, um, there's an odometer reset built into the system where at certain, when you get to waypoints, it, it'll reset the odometer. Um, but like I used the, um, I used the rally comp at Nora, which of course I didn't have any waypoints in there, no odometer reset. And, and yeah, it was amazing how accurate it was. I used, I always use the rally comp as my primary odometer at every event. And then uh, also Matt Sutherland was running the, uh, rally comp for his uh, navigation system on his bike in Nora as well. So um, yeah, it was it was I was really impressed. Even even though I developed it, I, I don't always get to run it for thousands of miles, especially on a route that doesn't even have waypoints loaded. And yeah, the odometer is just super accurate. Yeah, that that is totally awesome. And and what's really cool, like I that I enjoyed and I thought it was really interesting, is is like being able to run other things like an ICO or run a uh, an RNS unit literally side by side with the thing antennas and they sep- completely work separately of each other. You know, one works fine. One, the other works fine. Like there's no interference between them. There's no nothing. I mean, they just, so whatever you've done on the rally comp side of it to get that package going is just worked. Like now that I've yeah, actually there used is, one, there, there is an, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, now that, I, now that I've used it for, you know, put some serious miles on it behind one. It was funny cause it's always, I was always on the other side of the table you know, working and helping manage the units, but never actually ridden behind one, you know, now doing the, the instruction video and then also do it and then actually doing the SoCal roadbook rally and, and watching it in action and actually using, I mean, that thing kept me from getting lost. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. To see. 
and that it, and the fact that it just you put it there you set it up you you run all the cables you do everything you need and it just the thing works and it doesn't care what's surrounding it you know what you know uh, if there's a little plastic, cause I was doing the Gucci stuff, right. Trying to protect it and doing all of these things. And it just worked, you know, and didn't cause any issues with any of the other. Yeah, the, the rally comp is really reliable. And, um, uh, Oh, back to the odometer. So, um, there is an algorithm that's built in for the odometer in there that, 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 um, I've tried to do everything I can to make it as accurate as possible. You know, I don't know if other units have algorithms in there that are, um, you know, basically looking at the data that's coming from the GPS and doing some level of manipulation to make sure that the distance that you're actually going uh, uh, gets logged very accurately. But um, yeah, that that's one reason that it, it's so accurate. Yeah, this thing was down to the hundreds. Well, I would look at the road book. I kind of, and I I still remember one of the notes. I'm coming around, and there's supposed to be like a little corral, but it's like a campsite. And as soon as I get into the corner, I glance down. It literally right to the 10th and I had not adjusted it in any time I had to adjust the odometer on it was because I purposely had cut a corner. I purposely did something where I knew that it was going to be off because I had either taken the long way around something or taken the short way around something. But once I was back on, you know, I would adjust it. The thing was just on down to the hundredth, which is I, I think some people don't ride hundreds. I think a lot of people ride tenths only. I ride tenths typically, yeah. Unless yeah. it's a really tight book, yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, yeah, I was. I was so that's completely... interesting that you were all the way to the hundreds and it was still. Yeah, that's my OCD. It's already it's caught me out. Like <laughs> <laughs> I've already gotten lost, you know, figuring out, like looking at that thing. Okay, now I'm on target. And as I blew by the corner, you know, I was just way too yeah, close on that. Yeah. So. Well, you got to anticipate a little bit and slow yeah. down. I'm, I'm bad about that sometimes too when I'm trying to go too fast. <laughs> it's funny how quickly those corners come up <laughs> yeah right yeah, yeah. Like typically you're better in navigation you're better off slowing down a little bit and, and nailing the corners that you're going fast and blowing by everyone so i try to focus on that yeah yeah it's a slow this is definitely a slow as fast uh type sport and because it's usually the note or the instruction you miss is going to usually cost you a lot more time than if you were riding pin the whole way there so. Yeah, that's why it's so impressive that, that some of those you know, the super fast guys can can uh, ride that fast and still not be blowing all the corners. That that takes a, a lot of skill. Yeah, uh, I I can agree. With. Now now riding roads, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. okay, so typically uh, when you go to these events, you're on your five hundred one, correct? Uh, I had been riding a 501. Yep, I've, I've retired that bike now. But yep, I would I would ride a 501 or a, I've got a rally replica. I've raced a few times. Mm -hmm. And so yep. this time around, you know, five. I, I mean, the 501 was in the trailer or in in the van, ready to go. Um, well, that was a new 450 that I was building. I'm building oh. like an ultra light rally bike. Like I'm going for super super lightweight. There we go. And we'll see how that works out. But the, the bike, uh, I've got a new rally comp um, digital road book that I've got on it. And, the, and two rally comps. And that package weighs, uh, I don't want to say almost nothing, but I mean, it's it's maybe three, between three and five pounds, which is very little for a full navigation setup. Yeah. And then I've got a bigger tank on it. And that's pretty much 
the only thing I have on that bike in terms of adding weight. So it's super light and I've had it out in the dunes and it works really, really nicely. So yeah, I've, I'm going to try going that direction and see what happens. Yeah. It's funny because after the, uh, after the SoCal roadbook rally, I was like, okay, I'm all about this rally light life. You know, I've got my roadbook set up mounted as far onto the handlebars as I can, as close to the, the access of the steering axis. Uh, I've, I've decided to not go with dual cap and odometer and just run the rally comp, you know, front and center okay. roadbook, yeah. just super, yeah. super simple. I mean, it's not a, for me in my case, it's not a racing setup, but it's perfect for verifying road books and doing all of the basic, you know, the, the basic functions of a rally. So I, it's cool to hear you that you're, that you're working on something like that, like just some, a, a real light race, you know, race bike. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. Oh, nice. Woo. And, um, if I hadn't had the, the deal come up with Cove, I probably wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have had that bike ready for, to race Sonora. So it's a good thing that, that, that came up. And I mean, I don't know what, what direction we're going with Cove, Cove moving forward, but, um, you know, I, I'd like to race that bike more. It's, it's a really nice bike. Really. It's, it's very similar to a rally replica, but it seems more nimble. And I mean, I can, I can nail corners with that harder than I can on the rally replica. And I can, um, I can pound whoops with it, even with eight gallons of gas, obviously not, not quite as hard as you could with the bike, you know, with the, with the desert bike, you know, but, but still, you can still do it without it getting unstable. So it's a nice platform. Well, and, and that's what I was going to say. So, I mean, from the beginning, how did, uh, I mean, was the Cove thing or Cove thing, how did that deal come about? Can we talk a little bit about that? And then, and then the writing experience? Well, I, um, so I, as, as I mentioned earlier, the Coves they're new, new to the United States. Uh, they're, they're a new, new bike, new rally bike overall. They ran them in the, they ran three of them in the Dakar this year. I think that was their first exposure at a race. And they were pretty finished, so everybody was pretty impressed with that. I was impressed with that. And then we um, started hearing that they were going to be released in the United States. So um, Mike George and, uh, started contacting them about becoming a distributor, and they started talking. And you know, he threw out the idea to them that that maybe they should come and do Sonora, and and he would help support it. And they they bit on the idea, and then he also suggested that maybe they you know add a American rider to the team, and they like that idea. So then they started talking about who that might be. They were really, really concerned about, you know, having somebody solid that, that they, they were confident could finish. And, um, so they, they asked me if I was interested. I mean, I, I think I've probably, I run almost every Sonora and I finished almost every Sonora with the exception of maybe two, I think. So, I'm probably, the, I probably finished more, Sonora more than anybody else. Um, this could, I've been there so many times. And then, uh, um, so yeah, they liked the idea and, and we moved forward with it and, uh, everything worked out good. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's, you said it, and that was one of the things like, I don't know how many people know that, that all three of the COVID bikes finished the Dakar with, Correct. With the yeah, riders so, not having roadbook experience. 
oh, I, I wasn't even aware of that, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was pretty impressive that all three of those bikes finished the Dakar. So now, um, three of us, uh, there was uh, three riders on the Kobe team for uh, Sonora. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sudir from China, Nels from France, and me from the United States. We all three finished that event. Um, and then as we were nearing the last few days of that event, I proposed to them that I go, you know, that they provide me the bike and I go race Sonora. I mean, Nora, I'm sorry, the Nora rally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they agreed and I went down and I finished that. And that was on a bike that, you know, had done the back to back events and, and didn't have a lot of prep in between. I literally, the events that started one day apart. So we finished Sonora. We took the bike over to Nora, which was tech day. Uh, I had to work on the bike, got it teched, did a little bit of prep, you know, change tires, change the oil, clean the air filter, and then started the Nora the next day. So uh, pretty impressive, I think, that, that, that the bike made it all the way through without any major issues. That see that was something to me that was you know the Dakar and they finish it like we don't know necessarily the whole story right so they're at the Dakar they got factory support they got everybody there they got all this stuff so there's things that we assume that maybe they well you know yeah if they found a broken this you know uh they could have easily replaced it and just made it go through and so the bike on the surface looks like yeah it completed with no problems no issues no nothing but now that it's on, I'm going to say, use the term home turf, right? Where all of the competitors in the U.S. stateside that run these, like they know these rallies, they know the Sonora terrain, they know the Baja terrain. And the fact that the bike did both rallies, you know, in, in your hands. And, and I mean, I know you're very competitive. You're not, you know, it's not like it was a trail ride the whole way. Like you were pushing on it because you, you ended up with, uh, second in Sonora. No, I right. ended up fourth in Sonora. Fourth in Sonora and second at Nora. Third in the Enduro class yeah. and second at Nora. Yeah. Yeah. We, and that's not a, that wasn't a, a, neither of those were a trail ride. I mean, you, I know no, you were leading. And actually, yeah, I've done Nora a couple times before and this was probably the roughest. Well, not probably. It was the roughest I've ever done. I mean, uh, we were on a lot of Baja 1000 uh, San Felipe 250 and Baja 500 course. And part of it, I mean, this, the whole San Felipe section ended up being on the San Felipe 250 course that they had just run like two weeks prior. Oh, nice. And, uh, that was super rough. That, that was unbeknownst to the organizer of the Nora. Apparently, uh, they either moved that course onto the where the Nora was running, or didn't realize that that's where they were running the 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 score race two weeks prior. So it was super beat up. Yeah, and then as we got south, where it normally smooths out, there were some local races that had been on the same terrain. So that was that was not I, not all of it was shredded, but portions that we had were were just shredded terrain. And uh, yeah, so it really really ran the bike through its paces. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I heard a little bit about, about that, that as far as the, the whoops and the terrain and how rough it was. And I, the bike did, you know, made it all the way around. No mechanical issues, no nothing. Um, the, 
the ride. Yeah, like so, it's, yeah, we were supported at we were supported at Sonora Rally at, at Nora. I was not supported. I, I will say though that uh, uh, one of the things that I, part of the, this whole equation was was to put all the pieces together, and one of them was uh, you know having some level of support to all my stuff and 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 help and bring the bike back after the, after the Nora. And I got a hold of Tim Morton, who's a friend of mine with Baja Bound. And uh, he was pretty full, but he said he'd make room for me, and he did. And those guys were great. You know, um, uh, you know, there was always something, you know, you, you're always, at a rally, you're always doing, you know, you, you ride all day, and then you maintain, if you're, if you're, if you're taking care of your own bike, you have to maintain the bike all evening, you know. Mm-hmm. One day you're changing oil, the next day you're doing bib mooses and or changing oil and doing filters. The next day maybe you're doing bib mooses. The next day, who knows? Always, always maintenance that you're trying to stay ahead of any issues that could happen. And so those guys helped me out a lot. You know, a couple guys that were there, Kip Usi, really helped me a lot with miscellaneous things. And uh, Ronnie Wilson, uh, you know, he's always there to give me a hand when I was changing bib mooses and stuff. So, nice. um, yeah, we, you know, we had all the, all the support we needed to, to make it to the end. So. Very nice. Yeah. And in, in that, I mean, you, I mean, obviously you had to take some time to, to work on the bike, you know, and, and, and look over things and do that kind of stuff. Was there, how, how is the bike? I mean, is, is everything like pretty intuitive? Um, you know, is it, is it like the GMs of the world where the, yeah, the, the so, drain yeah. plug so, is? I mean, yeah, it's all, it's very close to a Honda. When I got in there, when you look at it on the surface, it looks like it's a KTM. Mm-hmm. You know, you think, oh, that's just like, they copied a KTM replica, but rally replica, but that's not the case. Um, I found more similarities with a Honda when I, when I started working on it. Um, the, the, the clutch is not, hydraulic it's a cable collection it actually feels real nice and, and you know 450x's which we raced for years down in baja mm-hmm. and best in the desert um you know they have a cable clutch so i was used to that and you know the swing arm looks almost like a honda the brakes i think are honda brakes the clutch i think is a 450x clutch um uh the breather setup the breather tube setup and the breather drain are identical to a 450x so um i think there's a lot lot more similarities with a honda than anything else so it sounds like they might have taken some cues off of i mean in, and it's known in the industry that honda it builds some of the most reliable bikes out there so it sounded like yeah. they took some of the cues from them yeah and that, and that would make sense as well yep. yeah now one thing i'm curious right it was malcolm smith that said if you got a hundred dollars 99 of them should go into the suspension. What did you, what do you think about the suspension? I mean, is it, was it something that, you know, send it out, get it revalved or go find a whole new set of forks and, and shock? No, no, the suspension is great right out of the box. I've I've actually, I I don't know that I've ever had a stock suspension that worked as well as that one did. I mean, it, it, uh, the bike is stable. It's it's level. we, We didn't have time to, uh, spring or work on the suspension in any way so the bike was on undersprung for me mm-hmm. so uh but it's still it, it didn't bottom i mean the, the suspension works really progressively when you hit hard you know uh square edges or anything like that 
uh, I think I mentioned before, I could pound the whoops on that thing. It always tracked straight, um, really stable. So, I mean, they, they did a lot of stuff right on that bike. Yeah. And I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have volunteered myself to go do the Nora after the Sonora if I wasn't, uh, if I didn't think that bike was capable of uh, the right fit for me to go do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, it's a big ask. I mean, you're going all the way back, basically back down the way you came, but now on the Baja Peninsula instead of on mainland, you know, all the way to the, yeah. all the way to the bottom. So, uh, with, I mean, which is interesting. You, you mentioned earlier how it was sandier terrain in, in Sonora. And then, you know, you get to the Baja side of things and now you're in hard pack, silt, rocky, very different, you know, in, in that case, I mean, some sand, but definitely I don't, I wouldn't think like what you came across Sonora. No, no, it, I wouldn't call it uh, sandy terrain. I mean, yeah, you get into some washes, but other than that, uh, yeah, it's pretty much rocky, silty, just like you described it. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, there was some stuff that, uh, well, we won't go too far into it cause I, it's a touchy subject for me about navigation equipment, causing interference and that kind of stuff. But you were leading the rally the Donora with the Kove with the yeah, last year's yeah. winner trying to chase you down. Yeah, that happened for a couple of days, but, um, when, when we got into more open terrain, mm-hmm. um, that, that he, he was on a rally replica, 2020, uh, mm-hmm. uh, KTM rally replica. And, uh, on the straight line and super fast stuff, uh, I couldn't keep up. I, I don't know that I wanted to keep up with the pace he was going. So, uh, There's that too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I always keep my safety in mind. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I was hoping we'd get into some more tighter stuff and maybe some more difficult navigation. They had some complicated navigation on the first day. And I think that's one of the reasons I did so well starting off. And, but then as we got further south, you know, we got into faster and faster terrain. I, I won't say the whole thing, but, but a good, good portion of it. And, uh, you know, the, the rally replica is a more refined bike. I, I think it's got a, maybe a better suspension for the super high speed stuff. And, and the, the motor on that thing, you just can't, can't compete with. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if there's anything on the market that can compete with that motor on that, on that rally replica. So, well, I think what's interesting with the Covey thing is going to be, well, if out of the box, the suspension is, is good. Uh, there's going to be people that are going to start tuning and tweaking it and, and making it theirs, right. They're going to start looking at maybe, uh, you know, the race tech valves, they're going to start looking and they're going to start messing with it. So this is just the very beginning of the bike. And then the engine, you know, being reliable, ridden at race pace, you know, two times down the peninsula. And then also the Dakar, um, I think, I feel like the same thing. It's going to be a matter of time before somebody with, you know, the contunum gets into it or they open them up and they start, you know, messing with the parts inside of the thing to basically make it competitive. Yeah. Well, well that, that's a good point. Um, you know, like, uh, you take a 450 X, like, like I mentioned, we used to race those in, in Baja all the time. So, I mean, we would never take a stock 450 X out and try to race it. It would be, you know, we'd spend between five and $10,000 on that bike mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. turning it into, you know, from a stock bike to a race bike. Mm-hmm. And because of all the years of experience that, that Team Honda had and other people racing those bikes, everybody knew what to do. There had been a lot of trial and error and research and development that had gone into that bike and knowing the things you needed to do to change it from a, just a stock uh, recreational bike into a race bike. So, I mean, yeah, if the, I suspect this similar thing can happen with this bike as well and turn it, turn it in from what it is now into something totally different. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I think that's, but it doesn't have far to go, you know? Um, so that, that's the nice thing. Yeah. The, the springboard side of it. And then not only that, but I mean, you're talking about, well, first of all, rally replicas, if you buy one are going to be, uh, are going to be very expensive. I mean, 27 K something like that. And then by the time you get it here, right. now you're talking about a COVID yeah, if, already if available. Can, if you can even get one. Exactly. I mean, I know I, you know, it's like one of those things. I know where there are two brand new in a box, never been touched. I think they're 21s or twenties, but they're, they're unobtainium. I mean, the price tag on the things and then to get them all the way up here, then to get them registered over here and all of that stuff. I mean, it's just not worth the, but then you look at the Cove and just the standard version, you could get three of them for the price of one rally replica. And for the most part, yeah. I mean, most people listening to the show, most people that, that go out and get into this, that bike is already cap- more than capable for what they're going to do. So, yeah. Yeah. And I also think there's a, a market for, you know, uh, that bike in the adventure, uh, niche. Mm-hmm. So, um, that, you know, that, that could make a really good platform for an adventure bike and you would have to touch very little mm-hmm. in, uh, in terms of the bike itself to make it ready. You know, you just have to, you know, add racks and bags and any other goodies that, that you like to have on your trip. But, um, the bike itself is, is, is a really good plat- starting platform. Yeah. And, and you did kind mention of an adventure it. light. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's going to be a hot, like, I mean, it's, I think it's KTM's fault, KTM and Quinn Cody for that 790. They kind of kicked off that party. And I think there's some that will either got to that and were like, ah, I was a 500 guy, but then I went to a 790 and not really a 790 guy, but I don't, the 500 doesn't have this, this and that, you know, so now it's like, well, now there's this option, you know, or you could take a 690 which is, uh, that's one of the bikes you have, correct? It's, it's an older, it's from uh, Linden Poskett. 701, yeah, yeah, I've got a 701. Yeah, so you, there's there's a lot of options, but none of them are going to meet the price tag and the out of the box of this so far. It's, it's, yeah, it's what it's I've, also got a, a t- I've also got a rally replica that I have that, that I've made as an adventure bike. Mm-hmm. And and it's pretty good, but I'm always concerned if I'm out there and I need parts, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my friend Lyndon has a you know can identify any part available, but he's over in Europe. What if I'm riding and and I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere and I need a part now? That's that's the problem. Yeah. Where uh, the Kobe uh, importer Gary, mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to throw a shout out to Gary as well for his support. Uh, but he's the importer and he's, he's got a, a warehouse in the United States and he says he's going to be stocking port parts and shipping every day. Or he already ship every day. 
Yeah. He has other uh, motor, you know, Chinese motorcycles that he sells and he ships every day. So mm-hmm. he's going to be carrying the parts and pretty much anywhere you are um, uh, in the United States for sure, but I think anywhere in the world probably, he can ship parts overnight if needed. So yeah. there are going to be parts available, which is always a concern with, it's always been a concern with any Chinese um, vehicles because I know a lot of, I've heard a lot of stories of people having issues with getting repair parts after they bought one of those. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's nice to know already that they're taking a cue from like, that's the thing, right? Is the Honda or you can use, you know, it's like, well, you can use, I'll just throw some names, right? Oh, the clutch pack is from a Honda. The rear sprocket is from a beta. The uh, front fork seals are the same as the Showa's. <laughs> and like, if you can, if once that knowledge gets out, yeah, you can get the part directly from them. The KTM, I figure that the KTMs are going to be a little bit more specific. Oh, yeah, uh, it's the same clutch as a 450, but the rally replica uses this that's different. And that one part that's different, you can't get. It's not on the shelf at the local dealers. It's not, you know, it's not something that they stock. So the the brake pads to me look like a 450X. If that's the case, I mean, that's fantastic. You get brake pads anywhere. Yeah. So not just not Covey brake pads, but any brake pads. And, and uh, the aftermarket or industry already has that covered. And then the, the clutch, you know, you can, get a, you can get a clutch for a 450X. I think the 650 might be the same clutch. I'm not sure, though. Yeah. Um, I think 711 so, carries those, too. I mean, <laughs> they're so popular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hmm. So, How, so something that I, like... Did you change the bars? Did you, was there any ergonomic things that you had to do? No, and that's another thing. The bike is, the bike is really comfortable. The bars felt weird to me. They were a different sweep than I normally use. They felt like they were swept back a little more than I would normally like. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once I got used to them, it ended up really comfortable. And the bike overall, the ergonomics, I'm a pretty big guy, you know, I'm six two and um, the, the bike was really comfortable. Um, I, I, you know, you always need to put a new seat. I, w- I would have liked to have had a, a new, uh, you know, a, a seat concept seat or something on there, you know, for the long haul. But um, but you always have to put a, you, know, you always have to change your seat on any bike you get if you want to make it really good for long distance. So um, that's one thing I would have changed. But uh, other than that, no, the bike ergonomically, it's great. Yeah. Pegs. The, the peg width, I mean, that's another big one, right? And any of the 500s, any of the normal bikes, the rally replicas use really wide foot pegs on it. How was that? On yeah, this it, had the, it has the wide rally foot pegs. Um, I've gone to these, I've tried out on this new bike that I got, I tried these uh, fast weight pegs with a little wing in the back. That mm-hmm. I, I ended up loving them. So I would probably put a set of those on there. I, I haven't figured out what foot pegs uh, would go on that bike. I, I suspect they may be a Honda, but I did try to put my fastways on there and they don't match. So it's not K, they're not KTM. Mm-hmm. They may be their own. I'm not sure, yeah. but it'd be really nice if, if like you could stick a Honda foot peg on there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you, it opens up the options and see, that's the cool part is, is that if it is that, and they did take cues from it, like if they didn't reinvent the wheel, I guess is the the easy way to put it, right? If they didn't go a hundred percent, this is ours and use something that's more common and available, then um, that's just going to help the adoption of the bike much quicker. I mean, as it is, I'm sure, I'm sure somewhere there was a whole crowd of people 
waiting to say, ha, I told you, I told you this thing was junk. And yeah, I think well, they were all proven wrong. Yeah, because there were guys, I won't name anybody, but there were some guys that were, some guys betting for me and some guys betting against me every day on, on, on our team. <laughs> and uh, the guys betting against me lost, uh, obviously, every single day. And by the, by day four, I think they quit betting because they just weren't, they didn't want to lose any more money. <laughs> yeah, the cash was getting a little tight. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, that's you know, I'm, I'm I'm now I'm I'm seriously thinking about it. It was like, well, you know, kind of would be nice to have something like that. But then you know, it goes the same thing. The, you know, the Gucci side is like, yeah, that's a uh, that's a 2021 rally replica in the garage. But then on the other side of it, that's also almost thirty thousand dollars sitting there. And if I fall and break a windshield, it's going to be three weeks or four weeks before I can get it, you know, or yeah. if I yeah. scratch a tank or if I, you know, where with this, if the they're, you know, if, if Gary and the guys are, are importing that here, then it's only a few states away. So well, here's another thing, like it, it's got a carbon fiber um, uh, skid plate on it and it's got a carbon fiber tower mm-hmm. and um, the, I know the rally replica, like carbon fiber towers, like $2,500 mm-hmm. and I think a skid plate is up in there as well. And um, when we were, I was talking with Gary about what, you know, how much some of these replacement components cost and he was talking hundreds of dollars. So I don't know how many hundred, you know, maybe it's three, four hundred, whatever, but that's a lot different than twenty five hundred. So uh, absolutely. And and those are yeah, and you're yeah. right. I mean, if you go over, those are parts that are literally I mean, I, I heard from from Mo and, and some of the other guys at the Dakar that were on the rally replicas from the boss team and, and skid plates are a dime a dozen. I mean, they're going through them. I mean, just like it's almost like just as bad as gas. <laughs> They're having to replace them so yeah, often, yeah. you know? Um, and then, yeah, then the tower, that's very true. I didn't think about that, but yeah, if you, you do an end over end or even a lay down just in the perfect combination, next thing you know, you've got a tower in your lap and at, yeah, at well, $2,500. When, when we raced the Africa eco race, uh, Matt crashed one day and broke his tower. And yeah, between, the tower, the main carbon fiber tower and the other miscellaneous pieces, it was several thousand dollars to put that bike back together. So yeah, it gets really pricey. Yeah. And then finding the parts can be a problem, like you mentioned. So yeah. well and something something I'm kinda of curious about. So six two, uh and and riding the thing, how was the windscreen? Was the windscreen did it I mean, what, what were your thoughts on that? Cause that's something, you know, the adventure riders want to know, right? They, they want to ride behind a windscreen that protects them and, uh, no buffeting yeah, in the helmet, so, which I disagree with, but yeah. So I, um, you know, you've got to tuck, tuck down like any rally replica. They're not, they're not made for, for full protection sitting upright in the wind. But I mean, there were some, some mornings where it was cold and sometimes where I was trying to go, you know, going really fast. And I would just tuck down under the windscreen, and it was definitely sufficient. Mm-hmm. And and riding out That's in the, the rough. Now, the um, the adventure version of that bike has a shorter windscreen. So if I if I get one of those, I will be putting the rally windscreen on it, which is a little taller. Okay. Yeah. See, that's what I was going to ask. Cause part of the reason. Um, that I went with my setup on my on my rally light is putting the all the navigation equipment as low as possible 
was specifically yeah. for that is I didn't want, uh, I want everything as far away from me just in case, right? If I'm riding something or hit something, I don't want it to come up and hit me. You know, I've seen plenty of, of glasses broken on, on the roadbook holder, you know, where the helmet hits it. And I, I've seen that. I mean, that just, it's kind of commonplace. I mean, I've, I've, there's been a few bloody noses that I've seen at other rallies from the same kind of situation. So that's, why I was just kind of curious is like how at your height and versus the windscreen and the nav equipment, like if you have enough room, Oh yeah. Plenty of room. Yeah. No, that's no issue at all. And okay. I'm not one of those guys that smashes into the, my nav equipment. I don't know what riding position that is that those guys are in where that happens, but mm-hmm. I never seen that. I don't know. I must, I must ride a little different than some of these other guys, but okay. uh, I feel like it's, I don't, I don't have that problem. The ones that I've seen it are on the rally bikes and it's typically a shorter rider or I've seen it more often on rally light bikes that are using handlebar mounts that, that put the nav equipment up and, and still, they're still pretty close. So it, and it's up a little bit higher. Um, that's really where I've seen the most of it on, on a rally replica or a full on rally bike, a KTM basically. Cause you, I mean, you can't get Hondas or, or Yamahas, but, uh, on the KTM rally replicas, I very rarely see it unless they're a shorter rider. Um, but but yeah, that's yeah, that's good to no, know. But I, I didn't have it. I didn't see any issue with that. It's, it's just like the ergonomics on any rally bike. Mm-hmm. Oh man, man, this is uh, this is creating okay. And and really, the only do you know the differences between the rally and the adventure version of the Coface? Um, I I generally do. Okay. Um, I could be wrong, so don't quote me on this. But there are actually three versions available right now. There is. The rally version, which has, you know, the full 12 inches of suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a titanium exhaust. It's got the uh, carbon fiber nav tower. It's got an FUR roadbook holder. Mm-hmm. It's got two ICOs, one of the GPS units and one wheel sensor unit, I think is how it's configured. Mm-hmm. And it's got steering damper. And if you go to the next level down, um, that still has the full suspension, but it's got a, a, a stainless steel exhaust. Mm-hmm. It's got an aluminum nav. It's not really a nav tower anymore. It's aluminum front bracket with a, like an adventure bike display, kind of like maybe what you would see on a KTM. I've never seen one. Mm-hmm. Like, my, like maybe like what you'd see on a uh, 790 or 890 is what I'm envisioning. Mm-hmm. And um, I think those are the, pri- oh, no Scott steering dampener on that one. But I think it still has all the mounting uh, hardware there that you just put, you can buy a damper and put it on. Maybe you've got, got to buy the bracket for the pin. Mm-hmm. And then there's a short version, which uh, has, I think, an inch and a half or two inches shorter suspension travel and that lowers the bike for guys with uh, shorter instincts. I think it's basically the same as the mid-level configuration just with uh, two inches shorter suspension travel. Okay. Interesting. And I don't know if it's I, I guess that I guess I think those are the only three configurations mm-hmm. right now anyway. There was talk about another configuration. I'm not sure what that would be but that may be the the third the middle one may be the one that I that they were talking about. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah. I'm, you know, this is going to be kind of an, you know, cause I'm, I'm wondering like, okay, if you end up with an adventure version, you know, could you go with a, uh, a tablet, uh, style rally setup for the enthusiast, right? Not racing, but just, you know, going, going out and doing basic road books. You know, it sounds like that might be the, the option. And I mean, and I'm, I'm on the GPX moto website right now and, and I see the price range between nine grand and 14 grand. So it's basically for the 14. Yeah. Grand. yeah. So basically, yeah, $5,000 for the rally version, which has the road book or the full navigation tower, titanium exhaust and Scott steering dampener. There may be some other miscellaneous things, yeah. but if you, if you think about it, I mean that there's probably $3,000 of it is just in that tower with a, and, and the, the F2R roadbook holder and the, the ICOs that are up there mm-hmm. and, the, and the fact that it's carbon fiber, you know, and then another 600 or whatever is that Scott steering damper. Another, I don't know. I don't know what it costs for the titanium exhaust, but you pretty much, that's the $5,000 right there. And I don't know if somebody's not going to use it for rally racing. I don't know that you'd want to spend that extra 5,000. Matter of fact, I'm looking at maybe doing some adventure riding on a couple of these this summer. And if I can get my hands on them, I, I'll be looking at the mid-level version. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and yeah, I mean, there's, uh, they have the comparison. So it's on uh, gpxmoto.com. They have the comparison for all three bikes. Yeah. Titanium exhaust, road book, uh, carbon fiber tower, steering stabilizer, moose bib, foam inner tube. Uh, and oh yeah. Yeah. And then otherwise, uh, minus all of that stainless steel exhaust and, uh, three horsepower according to the website. So, I yeah, mean, so that's, a, that's, mapping. that's a mapping difference. Yeah. And we had, a, we had special mapping in our bikes they had a special rally race mapping, which I don't even think is the one you necessarily get in that rally bike if you buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. And they, and they do have, you know, on the, on the mapping that I had on my bike, they do have a little work to do to, to, to smooth it out to get it right. the transition between the, the low, medium and high range. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've got some work to do there, yeah. but that may not exist in the, um, the non race. Yeah. The non-competitive. Uh, map. Yeah. Non-competitive map. Yeah. But I mean, we're literally, I bet you we're 90 days away from somebody with a vortex, you know, that can tune them or, or one of the other like aim SEUs or get ECUs. And, and next thing you know, yeah. this thing's putting out, you know, six or seven more horsepower than, than the way it was shipped. And what's nice, you know, this yeah. is some interesting that I'm looking on their website is, is the braking side of it, the rally bike, right? The, the, the pro version, right. Uh, has all of the additional stuff, but then you go down to the medium level one that we're talking about and it has ABS. So typically on at least what I've seen, right. You usually have a street bike with and without, and there's usually two grand difference higher than, uh, you know, for ABS versus non ABS and this actually coming with ABS and still much more cost effective, I think is, uh, I mean, I, I, I think this thing's a really good, we kind of knew it, but now, you know, yeah, it, it's tough. You know, it'll, it'll survive racing environments. Uh, and then, you know, the, the value of it is, is going to be really tough to beat. I mean, you're in a two fifty. you could get two fifties for about the price of this. That's not even close to one of these equipment wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So interesting. So it sounds like you're going to have a couple of these in the garage, hopefully. I may. Yeah. We may. I'm still, still working on it. Still trying to figure it out. Still trying to figure out the racks. I've got to be able to put proper racks on it. I'm talking to them about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a little rack set up, but um, I'm not convinced that that's what, well, not that I'm not convinced. I know that's not what I would need for the kind of riding I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do kind of a uh, mix of, you know, right, when I'm adventure riding, adventure riding and, and kind of extreme adventure, I think they call it, where, you know, going over rougher terrain and, and untraveled terrain, you know, and, and uh, so I need a really good rack setup yeah. that supports the back of the bike and supports the, the, all the luggage that I'm carrying because you know, I, I carry typically carry full camp gear and cook gear and everything mm-hmm. in yeah. a in a condensed fashion, mm-hmm. but still yeah. got everything on there. So. Yeah, no, and I'm you know looking at it and and it looks like it's it looks like it's designed more for like adventure light the rack that's on there. So for the for those like, you know, for those playing the home game, if you're into like, if you have like a giant loop, like the Mojave setup, uh, the reckless 10 from like Moscow moto or something like that, like a smaller bag setup, like what are the moto medics ride? Normally they have that smaller 10 liter, uh, per side or, or 10 liter total. That rack looks like it was designed for that. Yeah. And that's more, I think that's more of a weekend trip kind of thing, you Mm -hmm. know, and, uh, I think they can broaden their market if they if they get some ra- a rack set up that can handle, you know, people doing longer trips. Because mm-hmm. with eight gallons of fuel, I mean that's that's a game changer. I, you know, I I I'm always having to carry fuel, and it's a pain. So I, I would love to have a bike um, that had the eight you know eight gallons of fuel, three hundred mile fuel range, something in that you know like that. That would be great. Yeah. Which my rally replica will do, but. Um, like I said, I'm I'm a little concerned about parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, not. I haven't had an issue where where I got stranded because of parts, but I've had an issue where on my 701 I would have been stranded if I couldn't have gotten parts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if that were to happen with the rally replica, that would be a problem. Yeah, you you don't want to do it. I mean, in the and they are proven bike, but it's still at the same time it, it doesn't matter. You know, even the most proven and and trustworthy motorcycle will at some point have a mechanical you know or or you never know it could just be a simple fall the next thing you know you need a part and you know who knows so that's not good but yeah 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 man this is uh they're they're building an interesting case for these bikes for sure i mean they've already got the results you know the dakar and then backing it up with sonora rally and the nora uh what you guys have been able to achieve and then you're saying that you know out of the box these things are are really are actually built pretty well. The suspension is there, you know, you just with some minor tweaks to make it quote unquote yours, uh, could be even better, even though right out of the box, it's still good. So yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting. So what's, uh, what's next for you? Um, I'm taking a break. Um, trying to gear up for, I do a yearly, uh, adventure ride with my son. And that's kind of what I've been talking about here is that I want to get a, maybe a couple of and go out and do some endurance testing. Yeah. And, um, uh, that's, that's pretty much it for now. I need to take it easy a little bit. I've been, I've been really, uh, hitting it hard, getting all the rally comps ready for events 
you know, introducing the new rally comp, getting ready for events. And I've kind of got a little window here. So looking forward to that. Not uh, I'd to like do... to give a shout out to a few people. If you don't mind. No, of course. You're actually on the top of the list. You and your dad, you guys have been great. Um, helping you. me with rally comp, retrieving my van for the moment from Ensenada and getting it up to, uh, San Diego, and then I arrived, and, and the van's all clean, and and uh, it's been serviced and reorganized inside. How great is that? So <laughs> thanks a lot to you and your dad. Yeah, uh, Rick Vetter. Rick Rick has helped me a lot with rally comp. He uh, he also came over to Ensenada with me spur of the moment uh, to help me that day. I needed to get the bike ready for Nora, so Rick's been a great help. Um, Doug Smith helped with the logistics on uh, figuring out the whole Nora thing and, and uh, getting rooms and uh, checking with the right people to get me parts and, and he's just a great help. Uh, I already mentioned Baja Bound, Kip Lucy, Ronnie Wilson, Gary with Cove, Cove, um, you know, none of that would have happened without him and also Mike George, George for pulling it all together. So Thank you all you guys. I really appreciate it. Nice. Yeah. All, all a solid group of guys. I've actually talked to Gary once before. This was back when they, he was importing the, uh, the tanks for the KTM 790, the, the rear tanks. Um, so yeah, really good, really good dude. And, uh, I definitely want to pick his brain about these bikes and, uh, maybe get him on the show to talk a little bit more about the availability and what the plans are for these things. Well, he's really engaged in supporting this and, uh, doing anything he can to, uh, raise people's confidence and, you know, stocking parts and getting people on demo bikes. So yeah, Gary's a great resource to learn more about Kobe. Nice. Yeah. We'll definitely pick his brain, but cool. Well, we'll let you get, uh, we'll let you get to your prep. I mean, it's, uh, it's Saturday. You shouldn't be working. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I should be in the garage. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, after hearing you, I'm like, Oh man, I got to get in there and start, you know, getting my bike ready and, uh, at least getting into you know, I don't, I don't know. So do you still have your 790? You still have that thing laying around or, or is it gone? Yeah, I still have a 790. Yeah. It's never really been the bike for me. I've got a bunch of bikes. And when I go out in the garage and I look down, look at all my bikes and I, and I ask myself, you know, what, which bike do I want to ride this weekend? That's usually not at the top of the list. So I don't ride it very much, unfortunately. So, yeah. um, I probably need to put a for sale tag on that bike. Ah, uh, yeah. That might be the, you gonna you may you may or may not have to make some room for a couple other bikes. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Yeah. Nice. Well, awesome. Well, get to it. I'm heading to the garage as well, and uh, and then we'll catch up okay, uh, later sure. this week. Awesome. Yep, great talking to you. Yeah. Thank same you. here. Bye Thank bye. you, Mike. See ya. Awesome. So that was Mike Johnson, Rally Comp and Cove. I'm not gonna go Cove Factory Rider, but. I think they made a good choice in picking him. Mike has always been very competitive. He's always right there uh, with rally. Like you mentioned, his navigation skills, you know, that's he catches guys and and is no slouch either. So uh, that is definitely good to see, you know, and for him to say that how the bike has worked and was, he's very um, can be very meticulous on things and setting things up and how they are. And so I, you know, I take his word that he says that the bike is good, um, right out of the box and how it felt and other stuff. I'm, I'm surprised, you know, and I think I'll ignore for a moment, I will ignore all of the results of it 
you know, and, and leading the Nora rally, uh, being competitive down at Sonora rally and doing all that stuff. I was just going to ignore the, the placement, right. And just with the simple fact that it made the rounds, it made the lap, it finished the Dakar in front of, and, and in a long, long laundry list of bikes that did not make it proven bikes that have been there for years that that the recipe is there nothing has changed you you know and yet these bikes newcomers with new people on them new navigation and 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 the reason that that's important i think to to bring up in in when you're new to navigation that means mistakes are made you know i know these guys were maybe top riders in that but when you throw them into places that are out of their element never of competing in the dakar you know, they're going to take the long way around in the dunes. They're going to force things or do things that you wouldn't typically see from a factory rider or a Dakar veteran where a rally replica, one of those bikes is actually designed to do. And, and it knows. I mean, the K, the engineers behind at KTM know what they're doing when it comes to a bike. They've been using the rally replica setup, which is the ladder frame, not the new MX frame for years. This recipe has been around for years and it's a very proven recipe. Now, not taking anything away from the rally replicas. Cause if I had a chance to have one in the garage, damn right. I would have one in the garage. I'd have one like uh, Hector Guerrero and I would, I would make it look like a Husky rally replica, you know, just, you know, because, and I definitely do it, but they're unobtainium. And as Mike was talking about, it's like, well, what happens if you have a layover and how do you get an exhaust for it? And how do you get like, just think of the typical things. How do you replace a tank? How do you replace a windshield? How do you replace the tower? And how do you replace the exhaust? If I didn't already mention that, you know, where do you go to find these parts for these things and to get them stateside so that you can, you know, get your bike going again? You know, never mind some of the other ones, because let's just say, okay, well, they didn't really reinvent the wheel. KTM used a lot of their standard parts in the engine and all the other stuff and just say that, you know, there's really nothing different about them. How do you get those parts? Where in comparison, now you have a bike that's going to be imported here into the U.S. that's got proven miles on it, right? 4,000, four to 6,000 miles at the Dakar and then another, you know, two to 3,000 miles here in Mexico and Baja, uh, or one and the same, right? But you know, in in mainland Mexico, and then also in Baja, and and that and and I've seen that bike. Mike Johnson's bike went right back, and I've seen pictures of it. It's now in Ensenada and being ridden by one of the locals, who, in my understanding, is going to be the importer or the dealer in Ensenada. Uh, Daniel from Carrera Seven Seven Seven. You know, that bike is still being out there ridden. It's not like it's just been dropped off. It's going back to the factory to get refreshed and, you know, uh, to make sure it puts up. No, it's literally the stock bike. So this is going to be really interesting. I mean, there's a newcomer, right? Covey has entered the chat and now there's a bike that for the guys that are looking to get into rally or they're looking to do some adventure raid type stuff, you've got a, a competitive platform that holds eight gallons that you're not going to, I mean, you can't do it, guys. I'm telling you right now, you could find a used 690 for about eight grand. And then to do all of the, you know, go to Kit 690 or one of these other companies like uh, Aurora, uh, Raid Garage, any of these guys, and you're going to be signing another check or talking to Visa or Amex or MasterCard about a $4,000 credit card bill uh, to get into a setup like that. Now, still reliable. It's a good setup. I am not absolutely knocking those setups because they're a proven setup, you know, but now you've got a bike that in its early stages is already being proven. 
So it's very, very interesting to me to see how this how this progresses. Uh, my understanding is that they're not street legal yet. Um, they haven't been approved, uh, but that doesn't mean I don't I would think that may not mean anything in certain states. I live in California and we all know that California is very, very strict um, when it comes to that, you know, turn signals and all of that stuff. They want it. You know, everything's got to be approved and, and, and done. Uh, so this is going to be interesting. I think this, uh, I think, uh, the guys at GPX are on to a, onto something and the Covey is going to be the choice for a lot of people. Um, especially the suspension, you know, to me, that's, I think one of the biggest things I've learned, you know, in, in recent years, um, is actually spending the time and the money, uh, on the suspension side of things and how big that makes an effect, uh, on how much you enjoy the bike. And for a lot of bikes, you know, for desert, it's usually turns into, okay, take it apart. Got to send it to this. Got to do this. Got to do that. Got to put these inserts, you know, or these cartridges in it. You got to do all of this stuff. And next thing you know, you know, you're ringing up a two to three grand tab with the suspension guy, uh, just to get this bike going now, granted afterwards. Yeah. You end up with a completely different bike and it's a lot more fun to ride, but at the same time, now you've got a b- even bigger bill where, in this case, if you literally just have to take it out, put some springs in it, do some uh, do some clicker adjustment, and maybe not even revalve it. Maybe all it ends up taking is some springs, some clicker adjustment, a counter shocks, and next thing you know, you're you know dialed. How how awesome would that be, right? You're a hundred and fifty dollars set of springs for the front, and you know, let's just say four hundred dollars. You're in four hundred dollars for a set of springs you know, another 350 for a counter shocks, $750. And you've got a suspension package for your bike. It's not bad. I don't think that's bad at all. You know? So let's just see. I mean, I, let's see where this thing goes. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to reach out to, uh, Gary from GPX moto. So we could talk a little bit more about these bikes and just kind of see, uh, what the game plan is, what's available now, what's going to become available, uh, and, and, and where we go from there. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Covey, the next, uh, the next big bike here in the States. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. So with that being said, guys, it is time to get to the garage. So remember, it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you like what you heard. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of others. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook under Chasing Waypoints, Instagram, Chasing Waypoints underscore official, and, of course, the YouTube under Chasing Waypoints. Hope everybody has a good week. We will see you guys for the next episode. Remember, shiny side up. And don't forget to tag us. We want to see where you guys are riding and what you guys are up to. Have a great week.